This is the second week in our new series, Riches of Grace, an exposition of the book of Ephesians. Last week, we began our series, Basking in the Riches of God's Grace. God has pursued us, saved us, and will keep us. God initiates, God acts, and God will never fail. We begin this series not with a list of commands to keep, but, but with beautiful truth to believe. We look not into our own hearts and despair, but we look to Christ and rejoice. Look what God has done for us in Christ. In fact, after thinking about the riches of God's grace in the first few verses, Paul is so moved by his grace and his thankfulness for the brothers and sisters who share this faith that he begins to pray. The content of that prayer that we just saw momentarily a moment ago is the content of our sermon. While this is a prayer for the Ephesians, yes, it's a prayer for all of us. This morning I will preach this prayer, sure, but more importantly, we will pray this prayer. I want to live this whole sermon on the boundary of prayer and worship and preaching, and I I want it to almost be not discernible which of those three we're doing. I remember one of my uh, professors in this uh, doctoral program was talking about this passage, the first bit of Ephesians, and he's from Romania, so he had a great accent. He's like, when does the prayer begin and when does it end? He's like, does it end here? Does it end here? Or does it end here? And he's helping us see that Paul is just praying without ceasing, as he'll command us to do. That Paul is just in this dialogue with God and with the saints, and that it's leading him towards theology, thinking about God, and doxology, the worship of God. So our prayer this morning is not just content for learning, but it is itself a prayer that we will pray together. It's a prayer for all of us. So often we struggle with prayer. So often we don't know how to pray. We don't know what to pray. Thankfully, if that's you, and I know certainly it can be me, the word of God puts words in our mouth for us. The Lord Jesus Christ, who taught his disciples to pray, teaches us to pray even still. The Holy Spirit moves us to pray and prays through us to the Father. This morning, then, we pray with confidence and faith faith that the Lord God delights to give us good things. So what does Paul pray for, broadly speaking, in this text? There's a ton of nuance. Like I said last week, this is all just one run-on sentence. It's not even clear where the borders of the prayer are. But we can note at least three things that Paul is praying for and that we pray for this morning. First, the knowledge of God. The knowledge of God. In wisdom and revelation, I pray that you would know God. The second thing for which we pray is for the hope of God, the hope of God. And the third thing for which we pray is the power of God. I pray that you would know God, that you would know the hope to which he has called you, and that you would know the power that he works towards you. The title of this sermon is A Prayer for All of Us. Look with me in Ephesians chapter one. I'll read it again, verses 15 through 23. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, 
remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. In light of these things, in light of God's unspeakable grace, the riches of his grace, and because I am so thankful for you, I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in what? The knowledge of him. I pray that you would know God. Now there's some little things here that help us think about what he means when he says knowing God. First, it's, it's given, not earned. I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Spirit of revelation means that God reveals it to us, that he shows it to us. I pray that God would, would show you more of himself. And it's not just a, a head knowledge, it's a spirit of wisdom. I pray that you would know God. I pray that you would know him in your heart. I pray that you would see him and know him, a sort of seeing with the eyes of your heart. That phrase, eyes of your heart, is important. I should have had the band saying, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. You know what I'm saying? We could have thrown it back in here this morning and had a real good time. You know that song from the 90s. If you didn't, man, you know, I guess you're lucky. Um, it's not bad. I mean, sometimes we can, that's a whole other sermon. Let's just keep going. It'll be a classic in 50 years, but I pray that you would know God. It's a sort of seeing with the eyes of our heart. Now remember, this is a letter to whom? To the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing to Christians in Ephesus. So think about that, the implications of that. Paul's prayer for the people receiving the letter is that they would have a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of God. But the people he's writing the letter to already know God. They're already Christians. That means that you can grow and should grow in your knowledge of God. Paul is praying that, that we would know God more that you would know him better, that you would know him more deeply, that you would know him more intimately, that you would know him more accurately. As you grow in a relationship with someone, you learn more about them. You learn things you maybe did not know when you first met, when you first started hanging out. Even in a marriage, you learn more and more about your spouse as you're married. Now we could compare those relationships in our lives with even those analogies are limited because as wonderful as your spouse may be or your friends may be, they're nothing like God. You can spend a lifetime getting to know God and in eternity realize that you're just at the trailhead and a whole path of glory lies before you. A path that will never end where the views just get better and better and better with every step. 
You'll learn that you've gotten to know him your whole life and that there is so much more to know. God is not a field of study you can exhaust. He's not just a person that you kind of figure out who they are, you get their Enneagram number and you just go on. No, God continuously reveals himself and we only grow more and more enamored with him. He gets better and better and better for us, to us, as we know him more and more and more. Oh, this is Paul's prayer. I don't want you guys to just know about God. I want you to know God. Don't just know God in the sense that you can list some facts about him that may be true. But know his company in the dark night of the soul. Don't just know God in the sense that you know he's eternal, he's omniscient, he knows everything, he's omnipotent, he's, he's all-powerful. Those are good things to know. But I pray that you would know his power. Elsewhere, Paul will tell the church, I think at Thessalonica, that the kingdom of God does not subsist in talk, but in power. I pray that you would know his power, that you would know his presence. How does the the psalmist get at this idea, taste and see that the Lord is good. When my grandma died uh, a year and a half, two years ago, uh, my cousins got some of her recipes that she had handwritten. Uh, it's cool to see them, right? It's cool to see her handwriting, to see the way she made all the dishes I grew up enjoying. But as cool as it is to see the recipes, knowing what goes into those uh, really healthy meals. It's not the same thing as tasting it. You know, here's what I mean. One, one makes you say, oh, this is cool. Look at all that butter. I bet that's going to taste really good. And then another thing, to know the taste of the meal. One makes you say, oh, I bet that would be good. And the other makes you close your eyes and say, oh, that's really Good. So in other words, in your relationship with God, are you uh, feasting at the table or are you reading a recipe book? <laughs> do you know God or do you just know about God? After all, this is the aim of the Christian life, to know God more deeply, to know God and make him known. We learn more about God so that we can learn him more deeply. How do we learn more about God? We read the Bible, we do theology, we go to church, we pray, we fast, we learn. We do all sorts of things, but don't miss this. These are all means to the end of knowing God. The point is not simply to be a spiritually disciplined person. The point is to be a spiritually disciplined person so that you may taste and see that the Lord is good. As Donald Whitney has reminded us, spiritual discipline without direction is drudgery. Discipline without direction is drudgery. If your theology leads you to think that you've got God all figured out, your theology is bad. If you're bored with God, the problem is not with God. So I pray with the Apostle Paul this morning that the Lord God would make himself known to you that you would find in him the pearl of great price, the treasure in the empty field, the fount of truth, goodness, and beauty. 
I pray that you would be wise and discerning in your thoughts about God, that your mind would be saturated with Scripture, helping all of us know God as he is rather than as we would make him. I pray that coming to church, that hearing this sermon, that singing, that coming to the Lord's table would not just be an exercise in reading a recipe book, but would be a feast for our hearts. I pray that you would know him and the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to know, second point, the hope to which he has called you. Look with me in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Let's stop there for just a moment. I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart, Lord, open, that you would know what is the hope to which he has called you. Friends, I think we need hope to keep going. Just in general, in life, we need to believe that things can be better than they are right now. When you lose hope that your marriage will improve, you are then tempted to quit trying to make it improve. You will not put forth the effort to improve it because there is no hope. When you lose hope that your job will get better, that you'll get a raise, that someone will finally notice you, then you just start looking elsewhere in the hope that somewhere else will be better, that someplace else will be different. To keep going when things get tough, I think, just in general truths, we need hope. Now, remember who this letter is written to, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Remember one small point we mentioned about Ephesus is it's the center for worship to the pagan god Artemis. His temple was one of the wonders of the ancient world. The worship of Artemis is central to the spiritual and economic and civic life for the Ephesians. So imagine receiving this letter, living in a town like Ephesus that is absolutely dominated by pagan worship. Now, it shouldn't be too hard for us to imagine receiving a letter from an apostle while living in a town dominated by pagan worship because we too live in a town dominated by pagan worship. We just don't call our gods Artemis or Molech. We call them sex, money, and self. To persist in the way of Jesus is so challenging when it seems that so few are doing it. Everyone's worshiping Artemis, the Ephesians might be tempted to say. There's like seven of us here at church this morning. And there are 70,000 out there doing whatever they want, living however they want. Why repent? No one else does. Why pick up my cross and follow you when no one else does? It's not working. I'm not getting more friends, more money, and more status. In some cases, I'm losing those things. I won't bow to Artemis, so I'm a social outcast. I won't make money off the shrine to Artemis, so I am losing financially where others are gaining. Why should I suffer? 
Why should I do the difficult things? Why should I discipline myself? Why should I keep going? Because when I look with my eyes out there, I see a lot of people who don't give two cents about Jesus the Christ, that don't care at all about the church of the living God, that don't care at all about the Holy Scriptures and the role they play in our lives. When I look with my eyes out there, I am so profoundly discouraged. I see people running ideologically to extremes all around me. I see people with no interest in the truths of the scriptures. I see people who treat church like a vending machine. I see people who haven't read their Bibles in years, but they carry them around to look like they do. I see with the eyes of my head things that lead me to despair. But sometimes, the eyes of our heart see what the eyes in our head cannot. Sometimes the eyes of our heart see what the eyes in our head cannot. And Paul prays, I pray that you would see the glory of God and that you would remember all that is yours in Christ. I pray that you would remember that you have an inheritance laid up in glory. It's just waiting on you. Your name is on it. It's yours. The Lord Jesus Christ has effectually given it to you. He's paid for it for you. It's yours. There is something that awaits you that will make all your suffering worth it. Every ounce of suffering and pain in the path of obedience will be worth it when you receive what is waiting for you. Paul says, I know you can't see this with your eyes, Ephesians. I know that with the eyes of your head, you look out and you get discouraged. But don't look only with the eyes in your head. Look too with the eyes of your heart. And I pray that spiritually you would see the great hope to which he has called you. The inheritance that is yours together with all the saints. Press on. There is hope. What you're going through will be worth it. There is hope for your future, little church. But not only is there hope for your future, but there is power for today. Our third and final point, I pray that you would know the incredible power of God. Look with me in verse 19. So Paul continues his holy ramblings. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? Now, let me stop for just a second. Like Paul, as he's praying, he is just being built up into a crescendo of worship. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So forgetting the main points of the prayer, like I pray that you would know God, that you would receive a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. 
that you would know him more intimately, more sincerely, more deeply, and more rightly. I pray that the more you know God, the more you would marvel at how great he is. And I pray that you would know the great hope that awaits you, that all of this suffering, all of your trials, they will all be worth it because the hope that lies before, there's something out there, someone out there more specifically, that'll make all of it worth it. And I pray that today, in the middle of your life, whether it's a life you're proud of or a life you're ashamed of, where it's a life that everything is going the way you hoped it would go, or it's a life where nothing is going right. It's a life that's seen a lot of worldly success or it's a life that has seen no real success. In the middle of that life, not the life you present to others, but the life that is really yours. I pray that in the middle of it, you would know the power of God. I pray, brothers and sisters, that you would know the power of God. The same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand far above every name that is named, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, both now and in the age to come. I would pray that you would know that power, that power that he worked towards Christ in raising him from the dead is the same power that he works toward you on a random Sunday morning, a random Wednesday afternoon and Saturday night. This is the power of God for us today. Elsewhere, Paul articulates this same idea, that the same power that rose Christ from the dead dwells in us. Although we are so weak, he is so strong for us and through us. I think one of, um, one of the little besetting sins of the church that I think we often fall victim to is this idea of powerlessness, that we can sound holy by being like, oh, you know, without God, I'm nothing. Without God, I'm, that's good, that's true, that's biblical. But it's also sort of ignorant of the fact that we're not without God anymore, you can live the spiritual life. You can do this. I feel like 90% of my job as a pastor is just helping people realize that, that through the Spirit of God, you can do and be all that God wants you to do and be. That you're enough, not just because of your natural giftings or the way you look or the way you talk or the way you act or the way you think, but you're enough in Christ Jesus and your task is not to go and necessarily do great things for God, but to just know him. To just know him. There will be many who come to me on that day, Jesus says, to say, didn't I drive out demons in your name? Didn't I do wonders in your name? And then he says, I will say to them, get away from me for what? I never knew you. Yeah, we are really weak. The Lord says that he's put this treasure in jars of clay, like we break. But he is so strong for us and through us. All the power in the world, it's all just a shadow, a shadow whose substance is Christ. Brothers and sisters, I pray you would know this, 
Just as Paul tells the Ephesians that I know it looks like Artemis is on the throne, I remind you that he is not. The power of Rome is but a footnote in the story of God. There is no empire whose power can even come close to the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would know this. What is too hard for our God? Who can stand against our God? Who would dare oppose our God? Artemis, are you kidding me? All the gods of the people are worthless idols, the prophets have said. In power, the Lord God has raised Christ Jesus from the dead, given him all authority, and made him head over the church, his body. While the church may be small, beaten, and battered, she is not alone. She belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered death, hell, and the grave, the one whose name is above every name, the one whose kingdom will never end, the one who spoke and created all things, the one who upholds all things with the word of his power, the one who commands the armies of heaven, and the one at whose name every knee will bow. Worship team, come on up. Christ, the king of all, the one that Paul says the Lord has raised from the dead, he's seated him above every rule and dominion. He's given him authority over all things and then he's taken the one to whom he's given all authority and he's made him as head of the church. Christ, the king of all, is the head of the church and we are his body joined to him in a mystical unity. Friends, my questions for you are pretty simple this morning. First, do you know God? Do you know him? Have you placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, repented of your sins, and trusted the message of the gospel? For some of you, you've not yet done that, and that's the first step. You can know God because God in Christ has drawn near to us. That he's come to this world, he's lived a perfect life, he's died in our place, he's risen from the dead, he's reigning in heaven with God the Father. And through the power of the Spirit, when the gospel, which just means good news of Jesus is preached, he's turning hearts and minds to him all over the world. So for some of you, that's your first step, is to, to hear that message and hear God calling out to you to know him more deeply. For others of you, and this is a lot of us, so let me just preface that, this is if this isn't you, there's a good chance it might be here. Has something else become more important than knowing God? Has ministry, the stuff of ministry, become more important than actually thinking about, no, no, the point is that we would know God and make him known. Has something else captivated your mind and your heart? Do we need to pray that for you this morning? that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and knowledge of him. That you would grow in your knowledge of his presence with you. That you would grow in your knowledge of his power through you and his power toward you. 
And third, this is, this is for you, if, maybe if you're discouraged about something in life. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's loneliness. Uh, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your family. Maybe you're discouraged and you don't know how you're going to keep going. I pray that you, the eyes of your heart would, would be lifted up towards heaven for just a, even a moment. And that you would see the glory of God. That you would see the hope just beyond the shore. And that you would know beyond a shadow of a doubt that all things shall be well. All manner of things shall be well. That there is hope for the one who trusts in the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you would know he is our strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So as we close, I invite us to just pray this passage together with one another. Uh, I prayed this, we prayed this together in the prayers of the people before hearing a sermon on the passage. And now with all the things that the Holy Spirit maybe has brought to your mind over these last 25 minutes, let's pray the text again. And so what I'm going to do is pray this passage of Scripture. And then I invite you, and I'm going to be silent for just like two or three moments. And I invite you to pray this passage with somebody sitting near you. Um, for some of you, that's just brutally awkward. And to you, that's, that's fine. Just pray alone. That would be me. So don't feel bad. But for a couple others, I pray that maybe you'd step a little bit outside your comfort zone and lean over if you know the person near you, um, if they're your friend, family, whatever. And that you would pray these just three things for each other. That they would grow in their knowledge of God. Pray that they would know God. Pray that they would know the hope of God which awaits them. And third, that they would know the power of God for them and to them and through them. So let's just pray this passage and then I'm gonna back off and we'll pray just for each other that we would know God, that we would know the hope to which he's called us and that we would know his power in us and through us. So let us pray. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's continue now to pray.
I pray that you would know God and you would know the hope to which he has called you and you would know the immeasurable greatness of his power. That same power that rose Christ from the dead, that same power that rules the universe. That power that he works for you, toward you, and through you. Oh, I pray that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. Amen.